all of creation, all of the earth, make straight highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sin, wake up the same, let every nation shout out your
Oh. 
Please be seated. And so we enter into this uh, time of praying together. Uh, I want to particularly remember uh, families among us who are grieving. Uh, for uh, Dean Jordan, Mike and Jill Jordan, his grandmother's death. And also, Jerry Alderman uh, died this week after uh, a stroke. And I want to keep her family in our prayers as well. Father, we do pray that you will reveal Christ to us. Show us Christ. Christ in the midst of our lives. Christ in the midst of our relationships. Christ in the midst of our work. Jesus with us. We thank you that as we gather to pray, we know that you are with us and we know that that you welcome, invite our prayers. This morning we pray for, for people who are grieving who are experiencing loss and pain. We do pray for for Kay Lindley's family, for Jerry Alderman's family, others among us. We pray that you would bring comfort and your presence into the grief and the pain and the loss. We pray, Father, for those struggling with health issues. We ask that you you would bring your healing power into each one's body and mind, soul, and spirit. We pray that you would reveal yourself through your healing grace. We pray, Father, for our relationships and ask that you would restore any relationships that are broken and you would enhance relationships that are already good. We pray that you will help us in our work, in our studies, In all that we do and throughout our days, may we sense you with us, helping us, leading us, guiding us, changing us. We trust you with our financial needs. And pray, Father, that that you would help us to continue to trust you more and more. We trust you with our future. When we are tempted to fear and to anxiety and worry, give us your peace. Father, we pray for the ministries of this church, those that are going on right now, those that take place throughout this day and throughout every week. But we also pray for churches around us. We pray today for the Belfast United Methodist Church and Pastor Nancy Russell. Pour out your spirit on this body of believers as they serve you and each other and their community, may they know your blessing. We pray, Father, for our nation. Pray for the leaders of our nation that you would give them the wisdom of Christ. We pray, Father, for for those who are recovering from disasters and tragedies even more this week. We pray for those in Puerto Rico as they continue to recover and, and other places of the world. May people there experience your grace. Father, we pray for places of war and violence. Bring peace. We pray for refugees who struggle to to find a place to be and to survive. Bring them back to their homes in safety. 
We pray, Father, for your church around the world. We pray, Father, for, for the, the soccer group that's about to that will go this summer into Austria and Romania. And as we hear more about that in a few moments, we pray for them and pray for all the preparations and for their time there that they will bear fruit beyond what anything they could dream or imagine. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in India. There are many places of India where, where your church is flourishing amidst freedom. But there are many places where the opposition is great. Persecution, threats are real. We pray, Father, for, for the families and people who are struggling to bear witness to you in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Give courage. Give a vision of what you want to do in this great nation that you love. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being involved in our lives and all that we are, all that we do. Thank you for being present here in our worship. Be glorified as we continue to worship you. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, the incarnate one, the one who was crucified, the one who is risen, the one who has ascended to be with you and promises to return. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin by thanking those who participated in the dessert auction on Friday night, those who provided baked goods and those who came and participated. Uh, we ended up uh, raising just over $300 for the uh, sports ministry trip that's upcoming in Romania and Austria. So thank you so much. This particular trip will use soccer as a ministry tool. We will have members of the women's soccer team from Houghton, a couple members of the Roberts Wesleyan women's soccer team. We'll also have a dual sport athlete from here at the college who is uh, field hockey and softball. Our main theme for the uh, trip will be to love and serve in Jesus' name. Uh, a lot of our work will be done with children, although it will be also with uh, uh, all ages, but uh, some of it will be children, and we'll just spend a lot of time with them, uh, caring for them, and just, just loving them in Jesus' name. Uh, one of the opportunities we'll also have in Romania is to work with a boys' orphanage, uh, Typically, when you think of orphanages, you think of the smaller kids, uh, but uh, we're going to go with, with an orphanage group that uh, is older, 16 to 18-year-olds. Uh, we played a soccer match with them last time. They had never played against women before. Uh, they were shocked when the women beat them, and it's our understanding that they, that they want a rematch, and so we will go back and uh, visit with them. We did some street ministry the last time there as well. And we conducted a soccer tournament uh, with a lot of the uh, Hope Center uh, projects. And uh, we will likely do that again. As a part of that uh, ministry last time, for the use of the field, the stadium where we were, uh, the stadium uh, gave it to us for free as long as we came and helped paint. So we spent some time painting there as a part of it as well. We'll be utilizing singing and testimonies uh, in the various locations and our group is in the process of being trained. Uh, uh, each Monday night, we, we get together for that. We'll do some soccer clinics. Uh, and there will also be occasion for uh, 
informal soccer match ministry, and uh, we'll do that in both countries. And we appreciate the support and the help that Houghton Wesleyan Church has been uh, with us uh, in the past as well as in the present, and we would appreciate your prayer support as we prepare and uh, uh, anticipate going in May. So thank you very much. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 through 44. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the robbers who crucified him were with him were also heaped insults on him. This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, let me invite you to share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. I suspect that most of us think of ourselves as common, ordinary people. We talk about people who are famous. Probably we wouldn't think of ourselves in those categories. Hopefully, when you think about people who are infamous, we wouldn't think about ourselves in those categories either. And I don't think that's just about life. I think if you're a follower of Jesus, there is probably a sense in which... We see ourselves as just common, ordinary Christians. 
And I find that sometimes thinking that way about ourselves makes it a little bit difficult to identify with people in Scripture. You read the Scriptures and we're hearing about Abraham, and Moses, and Joshua, and David, and Paul, and Peter. And, and you, it, it, we're surrounded by these people in Scripture who are giants of the faith. And, and we feel pretty small in comparison. We're not Judas, but probably not Moses either. And when we think about the cross, and we think about the, the stories that the Gospels tell us about people who are around the cross, the people upon whom the shadow of the cross falls, we think, well, I'm not, I'm not chief priest or, or a, you know, one of the religious leaders. I'm certainly not the governor or pilot. I don't even think I'd put myself in the category of being one of the 12 fortunate men who spent three plus years walking and talking with Jesus. I'm just an ordinary person. And that's what I find fascinating about what the Gospels tell us about the cross. Because the shadow of the cross does not just fall on people that we call famous and infamous. It falls on common, ordinary people just like you, just like me. I see it in the 27th chapter of Matthew and the 15th chapter of of Mark. When you come to the part, after we just read it a few moments ago, and it says, the people passing by. These are just, they describe a group of people who are just passing by. They really have nothing to do with the story. They weren't at Pilate's hall when Jesus was being interrogated. They weren't in the temple when Jesus is being addressed by the religious leaders. They weren't in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. They're just people walking by. And I find it fascinating that when you, when you consider the limited amount of space that the gospel writers have to tell us about people and stories, they mention common, ordinary people just passing by. Now, when you think about passing by, you think about just, we sometimes will use the phrase passing through. It's not our destination. It's not where we're going, but there are places we pass by in order to get from where we are to where we're going. If you're like me, I don't tend to pay a whole lot of attention to the places I'm passing by. In fact, sometimes when you drive the same route enough, I have to stop and think, did I go past that place? Maybe you've had that experience. There are all kinds of little towns all around us here that we drive past by to get to wherever we're going, to Buffalo or Rochester or Olean, wherever it is you're going. We have to pass by those towns, and I suspect we don't really give them a lot of thought. We just pass by. I have thought of various times about people who don't live in this area, don't know anything about Houghton, but are driving down 19 and pass through town. And I wonder if any of them say, what would make people want to live here? (laughs) Now, if you live here, you might be saying that too. Why would anybody want to live here, right? I've been asking myself that for a long time. I, I just am curious about that. I wonder about that. What would make people say, you know, just, and not because they're being, you know, derogatory about it. It's just curiosity. What is it that causes, draws people to come to this place? 
And of course, if they drove up the hills and they saw the academy and the college, they would begin to understand what draws people here. But as they're just passing through, they're just passing through. There's a couple of restaurants, there's houses, but they're just passing through. Just one more little town to pass through. It's not the destination. What is it that would make them want to stay and stop? Something would get their attention. Maybe it's the China Star, Subway, Three Bums. Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's the inn. Maybe it's some. Maybe it's some. It's a Memorial Day weekend, and it's the yard sale down here. It's some, but something has to trigger their attention to say, "I think I should. We should stop there." And that's exactly what happens with these people passing by the cross. Something grabs their attention, and what is it that grabs their attention? It's an execution. I'm asking myself, who stops for an execution? It wasn't uncommon to have executions in first century Palestine. And in fact, the Romans had a plan about how they went about this. See, for us, we tend to privatize our executions. We, we, we try to keep them, we try to keep those kinds of things away from the general public. The Romans wanted to do exactly the opposite. This is the main road that this crucifixion takes place on. It's one of the main roads going in and out of Jerusalem. And all, they know lots and lots of people pass by this road, and they want people to see what happens to a person who defies the Roman government. That's why Pilate puts a sign on top of the cross, King of the Jews. He wants them to know this is what happens when you try to be a king in our empire. Do you really want to do that? Don't you think you want to think twice about that? And there are pilgrims teeming in Jerusalem. It's Passover. People who have come to Jerusalem maybe for the very first time in their lives. They don't know anything about what has taken place in the week before. They've just come to Jerusalem to to experience Passover, to go to the temple to sacrifice. And they're just passing by and they stop and go, wow, what's going on here? What I find fascinating is that the people passing by, Matthew and Mark, both tell us, start heaping insults at Jesus. They look, the shadow of the cross falls on them. They're walking by, and as they walk by, they walk into the shadow of the cross, and they look up as to what's causing the shadow, which is what we do. It's the most natural thing to do. When the shadow hits you, you look up to see what caused it. They look up, and they see a man hanging from a cross, and they start hurling insults at him. Why would they do that? I suspect it's because they looked up, saw him, turned to somebody and said, what's going on? And they began to fill their ears with lies about Jesus. And when people begin to tell you things that frighten you, you get involved in that mob mentality. Now, I suspect most of us would say, you know, I don't mock people. We don't maybe do it like that, but we can be people who who dehumanize and demonize people we disagree with. All it takes is is, is a little bit of fear, a little bit of a few words that cause us to say, oh boy, this is a really bad person. And, And pretty soon we have dehumanized them, we demonize them. You see, I see it in the political world. 
It doesn't matter what political party or, any, or no political party people are a part of, right, left, somewhere in the middle. It's a common strategy of the political world. If you create enough fear, then you demonize and dehumanize people, and they become the enemy, and, you, and people start saying things about them. We see it all over Facebook. But dehumanizing people is what Satan does. Jesus comes to make us fully human. But we can get so caught up in that because in mocking, there's power. There's power in that. When Jesus says, okay, you're, you're saying all these things to me while you've got me bound by ropes and, and beaten. Why didn't you talk to me about this in the temple? They don't mock Jesus in the temple like they do at the cross. Because what's he going to do hanging from a cross? Maybe hard to believe, but I was a scrawny little kid when I was young. When I was in high, I started high school, I don't, wasn't even five feet tall. I did not mock a lot of people. I didn't pick on the captain of the football team with mocking. But when I became a senior, there are always freshmen you can pick on. And there is a sense of power that comes in that. That you know you are stronger than they are. You've got them in a vulnerable place. And, and, you, and you get sucked in to that mentality. And I think that's what's happening here. And I think we, we, we succumb to that without even realizing it sometimes. We see people in pain. And instead of responding with compassion, we respond with venom. But it's not just about mocking. Luke says in chapter 23 that the crowd stood and watched and the leaders scoffed. There's always the temptation when we see pain to run from it, to disengage ourselves from it. Because to get involved is risky. To get involved means that we might get hurt. We don't really know what's going on. And so we back away from it and we just stand and watch. And there are people around the cross who are just standing there watching all of this take place. They're not joining in the insults, but they're not doing anything. And of course, our argument is, well, doing nothing is better than doing what they're doing. And that's true. But Jesus seems to feel pretty strongly about not doing anything. Matthew 25, he's talking about sheep and goats and who's... And and eternal destinies of people. And he says, what you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. And there are eternal consequences to that. As followers of Jesus, it's not enough to say, I'm not causing pain. We are called to do something about the pain. We're called to be agents of healing and hope in a world of pain. And when these people look up at the cross and they see not only Jesus, but these two thieves in agony and pain on the cross. You get the sense that they, they're just disconnected from it. And one of the are, what can I do? What can I possibly do? And maybe they couldn't do anything. But maybe they could. I think one of our arguments is there's too much pain. We can't, we can't solve all the pain, so why should we, what, what are we, a drop in the bucket? And I understand that. 
You can't, you can't address every pain that you come across. You can't address all the pain of the world. We'd be overwhelmed by that. We'd be, we'd be paralyzed by that. A few, about a month ago, we had our missions conference. And on Wednesday night, we had, we had uh, different rooms with different ministries that we are connected to and support and have people involved in that. And, and in each room, I had, I had such mixed feelings. On the one hand, it was like, this is awesome, what's going on here in Russia and among Muslim people and with Wycliffe Bible translators and in our own county. But at the same time, I was overwhelmed by, by the great need. It's just so big. And a part of me just felt sort of paralyzed to, does it make any difference? I understand our concern. But the call of the gospel is not to meet every single need. It's to meet and address and be willing to, to embrace and help the pain of people right in front of us. Andy Crouch wrote a book a couple of years ago called Strong and Weak. It's not a large book, it's a small book. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to. It's based on a two-by-two two chart that he created. It's about vulnerability and authority. And he talks about how these, these four quadrants are related to high and low authority and high and low vulnerability. And high vulnerability in, in quadrant one, he said, this is the place of flourishing. This is the place that the gospel calls us to be. This is the life of Jesus, that you have high authority, but you also choose high vulnerability. Jesus has all the power of the universe and beyond in his grasp that's his. And yet, what does he do? He makes himself vulnerable and goes to a cross. Quadrant two is people who have low authority and high vulnerability. These are people who have very little clout, very little influence, very little power to bring about good in their own lives or the world. But they have high vulnerability. They tend to be the the last people to get much of anything. They tend to be forgotten. They tend to be taken advantage of. And this is the place of suffering. Many, many people of the world in that quadrant. And in quadrant four, you have people who have high authority and low vulnerability. They have all the power. They have influence. they They have the ability to do great things. But they don't want to get involved. Life is just about how much can I accumulate myself. And they have low vulnerability of doing anything good in the world, of investing themselves in good things in the world. And what ends up happening usually is the people in quadrant four exploit the people in quadrant two. But when you think about looking at the cross and just standing there watching, it's quadrant three. It's this quadrant of withdrawing. It's low authority and it's low vulnerability. I don't really have a lot of power to do anything, so I won't do anything. I don't really want to stick out my neck to help people. I'll just back up. I'll just withdraw. Andy Crouch says that probably one of the best examples of that in our culture is virtual reality. In virtual reality, it looks to us like we are making a difference. It looks to us like we are defeating enemies. It looks to us like we're putting ourselves at risk. But once all we have to do is take the goggles off and we haven't done anything. And he says there are so many Christians 
who are living spiritual lives of virtual reality. We just spend our lives withdrawing, backing away, playing it safe. But the call of the gospel is to risk, to care, to get involved, just like Jesus. This is what the gospel is about. This is what the cross is about. And yes, we can't solve every problem. And there are people in the world who who are reaping the the consequences of their behavior. And, And we have to leave that to God. But our calling is to live in the tension of compassion and justice. Because everything God does is this tension of compassion and justice. But compassion and justice come out of his heart of love. Come out of his compassion. And anytime we see God enacting justice in the world, it's not been being vindictive. That's what Satan does. It is instead intended to awaken people to their need for Jesus. It's compassion. It's grace. It's mercy. It's love. When we look at them, the shadow of the cross falls on us and we see the pain of the world. What do we do? How do we respond? It struck me this week that, that maybe when the shadow of the cross falls on us, our hearts are revealed most clearly in the passing by moments of life. Not in the destination moments, but in the passing by moments. It's not all that difficult to do the right thing when we are planning and preparing and know we're going to encounter something where we have to do the right thing. But it's a whole different thing when stuff just comes at us out of the blue. Unexpected people in unexpected places, encountering unexpected things. That's when what's really in our hearts comes out. When we, when we, out of the blue, encounter people who are going through pain and difficulty and helping them is going to be a huge risk, caring for them is going to be a huge investment, what do we do? Isn't this really the point of the Good Samaritan parable? That's a story about people passing by. It's really what it's about. It's about people passing by. Jesus says there's a guy who has been, who's, who's robbed and beaten and left to die by the side of the road. And three men pass by on the road. They, he's not their destination. They're not thinking, okay, I'm going to walk this road and I'm going to be looking for people who have been beaten up and robbed and left for dead. No, they're, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They have things to do. They have places to go. They have timelines and deadlines. And they are passing by and there he is. And Jesus says, two of them walk away and ignore him, and one helps him. And the two who ignore him are the people you would think would stop, and the person who stops is the one you would think would keep going. And he says, what they do in that passing by moment reveals what's in their hearts. Because the context of that parable is the question asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
And the context of the question is, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? The person you pass by in life. The people that in the shadow of the cross are revealed to us. The people who are unexpected, unplanned, maybe unknown, but in pain and need and struggle nonetheless. I think that's why prayer is so vital to our lives. I think prayer is vital both about mocking and about withdrawing. It's pretty hard to to dehumanize someone whom you pray for. Because when you begin to pray for people, you see them as needy. You, You begin to love them and care for them. And you see them not as the enemy that you have justification to treat any way you want to, but as loved children of God. And God works in our hearts that way. But prayer is also vital for our, our tendency to withdraw. Because when we keep praying and when we continue to come into the presence of God and listen to God and open ourselves to God, we begin to have God's heart. Why does Jesus tell the parable of the Good Samaritan? He's saying, and as he's saying to us, this is who I am. This is what I do. The cross would be hollow and empty if Jesus had not spent all of his life leading up to the cross caring about people he passed by every moment. The cross would mean nothing if Jesus hadn't cared about people all the time leading up to the cross. This is simply the culmination of how he's lived his life all the way up to that point. And that's the call on us. It's a call to trust God enough that he is who he says he is. And to remember that we too are people who he could have easily passed by. He stopped. And he healed us. He changed us. He transformed us. Cared for us. And now he's given us as his children the great privilege of being his agents in a world of pain and heartache and sin and lostness and need. I think we come to the place where we, we start seeing people in the shadow of the cross the way Jesus does when we want to. So my prayer and maybe your prayer is, Lord, just give me a new vision. Give me a vision for people like you have for me. Father, thank you for the fact that you did not pass us by. You never pass us by. And you will never pass us by. Let that truth be embedded into our hearts and our souls. That we might be your agents of grace and healing and hope through Christ.
Amen. like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.